Okay, if you got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are almost done with Ephesians. Next week we will finish it up, and then we will, uh, we will be moving on um, to new stuff. If you're interested, if you're, if you're wondering, we are probably going to be in Luke for a while. So we're going to hit Luke, um, the beginning of Luke, during Advent, because that's that great... Um, uh, sort of nativity um, area of the scriptures, and and then we'll just keep on going with Luke into the new year and see how far it takes us. Probably break for Lent and Easter, and then come back to it again later. And so we'll probably be in Luke a little off and on for the next couple of years. So I'm just playing it out there, man. I'm just you know long range, okay. So I hope you like Luke because um, we're going to be in it for a while. So, but today we're in Ephesians chapter six, um, looking at verses uh, ten through eighteen. So Paul writes: Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for uh, this time. God, we thank you for... um, uh, an opportunity to come together and and to worship you, God, and to look into your word. Um, Father, we ask, um, first off, that you would open your word to us as we read it, um, that you would work through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, uh, in our understandings, God, that we would see the text um, for rightly and, and understand it rightly, apply it to our lives um, rightly, and um, God, that we would serve you and follow you um, more truly because of what we have learned here today. God, that we would be more prepared um, for the task that you have given us uh, in our own time. God, we pray as we begin to enter this this holiday season, um, God, we recognize that there are oftentimes people are more attuned maybe to, um, to spiritual things um, with Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas. God, people are thinking about... Um, themes that we come across in Scripture. God, we ask that you would use those things to draw people to your church um, this season, God, that they would hear the gospel through these things. Um, as we have conversations with friends and family members, 
as we join together um, over the next couple of months in different ways and at different times um, to gather with people who we have not um, gathered in a while, um, God, we ask that you would turn those conversations to um, spiritual things, that you would help us to um, be lights in our, in our families and in our communities. Um, and that in all these things that you would draw people to yourself. God, um, quite simply, we ask for revival. Uh, we ask that you would um, use whatever means necessary to um, awaken our churches, awaken our community, and draw them to your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, God, help us to be agents and messengers and witnesses of that um, as well. Um, help us to take the message of the gospel um, to our families and to our community and to the nations. Uh, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I feel like it is an interesting providence that we should be talking about spiritual warfare on Halloween. Um, I feel like that's an issue. I didn't plan that, okay? It just sort of laid out that way. We ended up talking about um, spiritual warfare this week, uh, or came to the text in, in Ephesians about spiritual warfare. Uh, and moreover, that we would talk about it when we come to Reformation Day. Because obviously, in the context of, of the way our culture celebrates Halloween and stuff, um, you know, uh, we walk around and we see skeletons and, and witches as decoration. Um, the theaters and TV sort of uh, focus on, on movies and television shows that are, are horror or, or sort of uh, focused on ghosts and, and, and scary things and, and even um, the idea of demonic possession and things like that. Um, we recognize the fact that probably many of us, um, at least to some extent, think about these topics because of those things, right? Like, uh, you know, it's, it's, I feel like it's hard for a lot of times if, if you have been a person who has, has seen some of those movies and, and you've watched those things and, and, and know those stories, that it's hard for us not to sometimes uh, incorporate some of that stuff into our thoughts about spiritual warfare when we come here, right? So, you know, you can think of any number of the, the probably the big, you know, kind of the, the movie The Exorcist, right? And, and all the, the cultural images that come along with that and the little girl's head spinning around and all those things like that, right? Um, we have all these goofy ideas about um, spiritual warfare um, that have come to us from the culture, right? And it's interesting that we're talking about it on Halloween. But by the same token, it's interesting that we're talking about it um, in terms of the Reformation because um, there were various personalities of the Reformation who thought deeply and, and were very conscientious of the idea of spiritual warfare in the life of the church. Luther, probably the biggest of them. Calvin's a little more tight-lipped um, about spiritual warfare stuff a lot of times. Um, he, not that he doesn't address it, but Luther is much more free um, with, with the things that he says about it. So we're going to reference Luther a couple times as we go throughout um, this message and, and just kind of use him as an example of some of the things that we learn in this section in Ephesians. So let's just go ahead and jump in and, and kind of see some of these things that, that, that we have to, that, that God has for us in this text. So starting in verse 10, right? The first thing is, is there's this command that comes out, right? We are supposed to do something. God has called us to be a certain kind of people and do something. That is, verse 10, finally, finally as they are kind of drawing this letter to a close, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay? So notice two things. First off, number one, um, there's this command right there to put on the armor of God, but in the same sentence, it says you are to do this stuff to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. 
All right. So there's a connection there. It's saying basically what we've been talking about over and over again since Lent of this previous year and really several times as we've gone throughout the book of Ephesians. Um, we do these things. We pursue Christ. We we uh, we live uh, and fight temptation in the world in the strength of Christ. Right. It is Christ working in us. He is the source. He is the provider in these things. And yet. As we talked about again last during Lent with the cedar from uh, the season from from uh, Peter's epistle, um, we make every effort in these things. Right? We must put on the new man. We must walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And here we must take up the whole armor of God. Okay? And so we have a role in these things, but we never misunderstand what is going on. We are always working in the strength that Christ has given. Christ is the source. Christ is the center. And yet we have a responsibility. We do not sit back passively in these things. We pursue them. Right? Um, we work towards them in the might of Christ, in the strength of Christ, um, in the strength of the Lord, as it says, right? So that's the first thing. And again, that's kind of a, a, a point that we've talked about over and over again over the course of this year. But what else? Secondly, there's this question too. Why? Why do we need to be strong? Why do we need to stand firm? What is the, the thing that Paul is trying to draw our attention to? Why be strong and take a stand? Um, why put on the armor, it says? Um, because I'll be honest, that seems like that language seems a little extreme to me in some ways, right? It seems a little extreme to a guy whose most of his job consists of reading books in coffee shops, right? Okay, like putting on the armor of God just seems like a little bit of a um, a, a little strong, right? If you're if you're a fly fisher guide or you're a banker or you, right to say you need to put on the armor of God and be ready for battle seems. In some ways, I feel like a little bit extreme, right? It seems like hyperbolic kind of language in some ways. Um, sometimes people will even criticize that kind of language. When the church uses military language, warfare language, and the way it talks about um, engaging in spiritual life or whatever, people will say, you know, you need to tone that down a bit, right? Uh, bake sales and, and, and chili suppers are not um, warfare necessary, right? We don't have to talk about warfare in these contexts. Um, I almost feel like, again, Halloween makes a good illustration for it sometimes. Um, at Halloween, what do you got? You look out and you see all these little kids walking around wearing superhero outfits, right? And they're acting like they're superheroes and they're, and they're pretending to be superheroes. And yet we know the reality is, is none of those things are real, right? Um, they're just these normal situations. They're kids who are pretending um, in these things, but the stakes aren't really that high, Um the warfare language, however, I think is legitimate. But here's what we have to do when we're using that warfare language. And it's what Paul is drawing our attention to. The warfare language is legitimate if we focus it in the right direction. If our warfare is in keeping with the way the Bible talks about that warfare. And the need for strength and steadfastness in those things um, is significant because that's what Paul is pointing us to. He says, you need to be strong for what I'm about to tell you about. And that is this, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, okay, so first off, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
So again, part of our problem with that warfare language and that warfare analogy is that typically what happens is the church ends up making people the enemy, right? And then we start using this warfare language about how we need to go to war against this stuff and we need to be a church militant and we need to be all these different things. And if we have made the mistake of saying, yeah, and the enemy is those people out there, the, the enemy is, you know, the immoral or, or the irreligious or the non-spiritual or the pagan or the atheist or whatever, if they are the enemy, then we're going to get in trouble real quick with that kind of language because the Bible doesn't talk that way. The Bible talks about us having warfare mentality about lots of things, okay? We are to make war against false arguments. We are to make war against the flesh, our own flesh. Okay? We are not at war with people, though. Um, we love our enemies, right? We pray for our enemies. We turn the other cheek. We go the extra mile. That's the picture that we that the Bible gives of, of our relationship with our enemies. And as soon as we start seeing those people as the enemy, then we feel justified to treat them however we want to treat them. Right. We, we begin to see them as something less than human, something less than what we are, um, something less than a, a sinner who needs grace. And all of a sudden they're the enemy. They're the bad guy. And we can talk about them and treat them in whatever way we want to. Um, but they are not the enemy. Right. Um, because we do not fight against flesh and blood. That is not the enemy. Who is the enemy? We fight against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You remember from the get-go in Ephesians, we've been talking about the epicness of, of um, what he's talking about in the book of Ephesians. Man, we have tapped into that epicness now, right? Um, that we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but we are fighting against cosmic powers, these supernatural entities that are in the universe around us, right? We are at war with Satan, and his minions in the heavenly realms. And that's what those words, those, those rulers, those authorities, those principalities, that language is talking about these spiritual forces. So C.S. Lewis is famous for a comment that he made about spiritual warfare. He said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight, right? So he's basically saying we fall into two big mistakes. Don't treat the spiritual forces in the, in, the, in the heavenly realms like they don't exist, but also don't be so focused on them that you're always worried about them and trying to um, engage them in some way and stuff like that. That's, he uses that word magician, right, like that you're trying to access them or something like that. Um, and you, we can think of any kind of number of, of occult practices of, you know, sorcery and, and witchcraft and, and uh, divination and all these kind of things that, that people would do. Now, honestly, I think he's right. I think C.S. Lewis is right. But I don't think we typically fall into either one of those categories. And the category that we fall into is just as wrong and just as dangerous. We fall into a third category that I'll call being a demonic deist. Okay? You know what deism is? Have you ever heard that phrase? Deism was a sort of a, a, a worldview, a mindset that came out of the Enlightenment that basically said this. There is a God... It's obvious by looking at the order of the world around us that there, a God does exist, 
But we think that he probably made this whole place, and then he has gone off somewhere, right? He certainly doesn't care about the, the stuff that's going on. He didn't come to earth in the person of Jesus. He doesn't care about our daily lives. Like, there's certainly a creator, but he certainly is too big of a creator to really care about what's going on here. That's what deism is, all right? Well, I would say that we are probably, most of us, demonic deists, is that we functionally look to it and we go, yeah, yeah, I read the scriptures and I see that there is demonic stuff. Like, I believe that it exists. But, like, it really doesn't have anything to do with my life. Like, sure, Satan is somewhere in existence, but he's certainly not influencing me. He's not working in my life. Like, sure, maybe a few extreme situations and in the Old Testament, the early New Testament, I maybe, but, you know, I, I don't feel like he has a real influence on anything I do. We treat the devil like North Korea. All right? Is North Korea our enemy as, as, as a country? And the answer is, yeah, they are. But only kind of, right? You're not going to go home today and there's not going to be North Korean troops in your yard like burning down your house or anything, right? Um, you're not going to have to worry about um, uh, dodging you know, artillery shells from North Korea as you go home today, right? They are our enemy, but they're almost an idea, right? They're people that are way far away. Um, that, that, that we are probably never going to encounter on, on a daily basis. But that's not our situation with the devil, even though we might treat it that way. Um, and I think that's why Paul uses, if you notice, the word we wrestle, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against Satan. Why would he use that language? There's all kinds of Greek words that he could have used for warfare, for battle. We battle against Satan. We battle against, we, we, we commit warfare against Satan or whatever. Somebody says, he says we wrestle. Okay? Why do you think he uses that word? He's using that word for the intimate, daily, close contact okay, that we have with these spiritual forces. Okay? That these things are things that we are engaging with every single day in our lives. And we are wrestling against in our lives. There is an intimacy there to these things that I think we ignore most of the time. We pretend like these things are far off and have nothing to do with our lives. And that's not what we're seeing in this passage. Um, Luther was very aware of, of, of the satanic in his life. And again, don't think of satanic like when you watch some goofy show on TV where they're drawing pentagrams and candles in the hoods or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about, right? He was aware of the temptation and the accusation and the doubt that was going on in his own head, but he attributes that to Satan, right? He doesn't just think of it in terms of him saying, oh, I had some weird thoughts today. I was kind of down. I was kind of whatever. He attributes those things to saying, I'm being attacked. I'm being oppressed by spiritual influences, okay? So there's a, there's a uh, uh, author, historian named Hieko Oberman who wrote a book on Luther, a biography of Luther called The Man Between God and the Devil, okay? And he zooms in on Luther's, Luther's kind of relationship to, the, to spiritual warfare. And he says this, he says, to Luther, Christ and the devil were equally real, one was the perpetual intercessor for Christianity, the other a menace to mankind till the end. To argue that Luther never overcame the medieval belief in the devil says far too little. He even intensified it and lent to it additional urgency. Christ and Satan wage a cosmic war for mastery over the church and the world, and no one can evade Involvement in this struggle. Even for the believer, there is no refuge. Neither the monastery nor the seclusion of the wilderness offer him a chance of escape. Right? So again, the idea is this. Luther said, man, we are in the midst of this war. Right? There's a war going on and we are part of it. 
and we are, are caught up in it. Um, Luther didn't feel like Satan was an abstract idea, right? Luther was very aware of the presence of Satan in his life and the influence of Satan in his life. Um, so probably many of us are familiar with the, the story, and some people say it's apocryphal. Some people say it's not, it didn't actually happen. But supposedly, when Luther, Luther at one point in his, in his life was kidnapped, um, but by his friends, because they wanted to kidnap him before the Catholic Church could kidnap him and kill him. So they kidnapped him and hid him away in, in Wartburg Castle. And it was while he was in Wartburg Castle that he began to translate um, the Bible into German. And so obviously this is a hugely significant spiritual work that he was about, right? He is doing something that would change the course of Western civilization, and certainly the German people. Um, and all during that time, he felt the spiritual battle going on in his life. He felt the fear and the despair and the inadequacy that came along along with such a tremendous undertaking of translating um, the Bible into, into German, right? And at one point, he was feeling so oppressed by those thoughts and, and feelings that he picked up his inkwell and he threw it at Satan across the room and it hit a wall and shattered and supposedly it left an ink stain on the wall that you could have seen um, until very recent times, right? So people throughout history are like, I visited, visited Wartburg Castle and I saw the ink stain where he threw the, the thing, okay? It's not because he thought Satan was physically standing there, right? Like he didn't like see, you know, again, it's not like a horror movie. There wasn't like eyeballs in the shadows or whatever looking at him. That's not what we're talking about. But at the same time, he recognized that this doubt and fear and inadequacy that he was feeling was very much caused by the devil. And so just the same way that you would walk into your house, if you saw a stranger there, you'd be like, ah, and throw something at him or whatever. He, he does the same thing, right? He, he feels like there is a physical kind of reality to it, even though there's not a person there because, because that's how Luther thought. He said, I read these things in the scriptures and I recognize that the temptations, the accusations of the devil are very real things. Um, there's, a, there's another story um, or, or other stories where, and if you read Luther's writings, you come across all these weird little places. And he just talks so casually about spiritual warfare, like it's just a thing. So, for example, one place he's writing in his table talk, and he says this. He says, early this morning, the devil was arguing with me about Zwingli. Zwingli was the third man of the Reformation. He was, he was another character in the Reformation. And he says, I just woke up in the middle of the night, and me and Satan were arguing about Zwingli. Okay? And you go, that sounds bizarre. Like, we would not talk in that way. Another place he says this. He says um, he, would, he would oftentimes have these bouts where he couldn't sleep. And in those, in those uh, insomniac kind of sta- uh, stages, he would have these, these bouts with the devil. And he says, um, they are much more bitter than my battles during the day. For my theological adversaries during the day, they only annoy me. They write these stupid theological treatises that are inane and inept, um, and I waste my time even refuting them. But the devil, the devil is able to confront me with real theological arguments. The devil's a better theologian than my opponents. Okay? And right, and so again, you go, that's odd language. Like, I don't think that's the way we talk about the reality of these things. But, but Luther was working through something. Like, he was recognizing that, um, there are, there are forces out there working in our lives that oftentimes we attribute to something else. We think, man, I just got some crummy thoughts today or what or whatever, right? I was tempted by this thing and I and I and I just 
it just happened or whatever. And we don't acknowledge the fact that there is actually something spiritual going on, right? That the devil is actually um, attacking us in some way. So, for example, we see this kind of stuff all through the Bible. Why does the Lord's Prayer tell us to ask, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, many translations say evil, but, but probably the better translation is the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. What do we need to be delivered from the evil one if, like, he's living somewhere where he has no access to us, right? What do we make of places like 2 Corinthians 4 that say, talking about unbelievers, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, um, for, for a Satan who has no influence in our lives, what does it mean that he has blinded unbelievers so that they are enabled, unable to see um, the glory of Christ and the light of the gospel? Um, that person that you pray for all the time, let me put it this way. Uh, maybe that family member or that friend who you, you want to come to Christ so bad, and you keep on praying for them, and they don't listen, and they won't turn, and they, and they won't believe or whatever. Have you ever considered the fact that there may be, it's not just them being dumb. Right? Maybe there's something more to it. Maybe they are being blinded by the demonic. And again, it's, when I say that, I know a lot of people kind of like tense up because they go, you mean like he's possessed, like he's possessed by a demon? And the answer is not like the movies. Right. The Bible doesn't tend to show those kind of things that way. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting. I've, a lot of commentators will say this. The Bible um, doesn't make a distinction between between being possessed and oppressed doesn't make a distinction between those two things, right? Um, and so, yes, sometimes you see these weird situations like in the Gospels where there's a guy living in a cave and he's cutting himself and he's super strong and like uh, breaking chains and stuff like that because he's demon-possessed, right? But most of the time, the attitude is, no, there are these demonic influences, but you just look like a normal person, right? Um, because these things are just influencing you, right? They are oppressing you, but they're not possessing you. The devil is setting traps for us, right? And we keep on falling into those traps. And I wonder if the reason we keep on falling into them is because we don't really think that he's there or he's doing these things. Here's a weird thought I have. You ever done an escape room? Anybody done escape rooms? Anybody gone? Yeah, a few people have done escape rooms, right? So this is what I thought when I was, I've done escape rooms two or three times now. And this is what I thought when I was in escape room. I went like this. I was like, dude, you know what? Why am I not this perceptive when I'm out in the real world? Right. Like in when I'm in 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 the escape room, I'm all of a sudden going, wait a second, this thing connects to this thing. And, oh, I get it. I see how this all works. And I'm very I'm very perceptive um, in, in an escape room. I mean, not abnormally for an escape. room. I, I, we've almost lost a couple times. I'm not trying to, like, say I'm awesome in escape rooms. But what I'm saying is this. I notice stuff when I'm in an escape room. And I think to myself, how come I don't notice stuff when I'm just out in the world? How come I don't form those connections when I'm out in the world? And there's a reason. You want to know why? It's because when I'm in an escape room, I know that there's a trap, right? I know there's a gimmick. I know there's something that I'm supposed to be catching and noticing to solve this problem. But when I get out in the world, you know what, most of the time, my attitude is just sort of like, no, nah, man, everything's just kind of happening willy-nilly, helter-skelter, whatever, and stuff like that. But what if, when I got out into the world, I started seeing things in that same light? Like, I started thinking... You know what? There are ways that God is working and there are ways that the devil is working that I should be noticing and being aware of before I step into them or something like that, right? And so, like, um, 
this is more awkward with Christy sitting there. Um, like, uh, if I'm sitting somewhere and all of a sudden a good looking lady walks by and my first thought is she looks a whole lot like the girl I was in love with all through high school. And then all of a sudden my mind starts going tick, tick, tick and going in any different direction. What if I were to at that point say, you almost got me, Satan. I see what you did there. I see what you did. You tried to turn my thought and make me remember different things, tried to lead me astray into whatever, lust or, or, or whatever else, right? What if I said, oh, I get it. I see the trap before it's laid because I'm prepared for it. But we don't do that, right? We just go, oh, random little thought in my head. No big deal. I can either in, indulge it or not indulge it. Um, but it came from me. It's not from anything else. Certainly I'm not being attacked. Certainly a spy has not snuck in and tried to mess up my life and my walk and my spirituality for the day. Certainly not that. I'm just a, I'm just a dude who's thinking thoughts, right? But what if we said, just like it told us, it said, what if we are doing these things so that we can escape the schemes That's the word it uses of the devil, right? What if he's setting little traps for you all the time? And if we were more aware of the fact that he's doing it, so that when I walk in and my kids are going crazy and I've already had a rough day, what if I walked in and went, all right, the devil's going to have this place booby-trapped like Indiana Jones, right? Like I'm going to have to walk in and just walk so gingerly and duck and do the idol with the sandbag thing just to get through here because my kids are going to be nuts and I'm on edge, right? What if I thought that way? Instead, no, I just walk in going, and then I start yelling at people, right? Okay, that's... If we, if, but if we thought about it, right? If we thought about the fact that, no, I'm going to get attacked. Like I'm going to walk into this thing and he is going to be swinging at me when I step in. And to be prepared for that. I think that's at least part of what Paul is getting at. He's saying, stand firm, man. Be ready because you are entering into a warfare that is beyond you, right? Man, it would be great if we were just fighting against flesh and blood. Man, I could probably take a few fools, right? If, if it was just flesh and blood, right? If it's me against Satan, I'm probably out of my league. Okay, And so Jesus is saying, you need to be prepared for this, and you need to be armed with the things that will actually help you to fight this. So what do we do? How do we fight against the demonic? We put on the full armor of God. And so verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. He used that word stand a bunch of times, right? Stand, verse 14, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts or all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So how do you stand against the demonic influences of the world, right? You don't need an old priest and a young priest. Okay, Um, that's not the way it works, right? You don't need talismans and you don't need holy water and you don't need to put salt on your doorways. Maybe it's vampires, whatever, Um, whatever. Like you don't have to do any of those things. That's not how we fight against the demonic. That's not what the demonic looks like. Okay, Um, the way we fight against the demonic is with what is with the normal things of faithful Christianity. Right. Um, Satan is a liar. Right. He is, in fact, the father of lives. Right. He is he is whispering so many things to us on any given day. Right. Um, About your worth, 
and about your future and about your inadequacies, um, heart-wrenching things, right? Hopeless, despairing things that he is whispering to us. But they're all lies. And you can recognize they're all lies if what? If you're fastened with the belt of truth, right? If you understand what truth is, if you know the truth, then as the lies come, you can say, no, not falling for this. I don't believe any of this stuff because I know what the truth is, right? And the devil's not just a liar. He's an accuser as well, right? And so he reminds you of your failures and your sins um, and your not good enoughs. And sometimes it feels like the devil has you, um, man, just on your back with his boot on your chest, right? Um, crushing you with the accusations that he is making. And yet he would crush the life out of you if it weren't for what? If it weren't for this breastplate of righteousness, right? The fact is um, you have a righteousness that is covering you that is beyond any accusation that the devil could throw at you. And so, I, again, I love Luther. Luther, writing to a young man about spiritual warfare, said this. He says, man, when the devil accuses you of sin, when the devil throws his sin or your sin in your face, you know what you should say to him? You should say, I admit that I deserve death and hell. So what? For I know one who has suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I will also be. Right? Um, he, there's another great place where he says, Agree with the devil about your sin. You know why? Because if, if it was, wasn't for your great sin, you would have not needed Jesus Christ. And man, because of our sin, Jesus Christ has saved us. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ now that would have never happened had we not messed up. And so he's like, you know what, devil? You're right. I have sinned in so many ways, and Jesus has forgiven them all. And Jesus has come and saved me from all. And Jesus has covered me with his righteousness. And so I don't have to worry about any of those things anymore. The shoes of readiness. Readiness is the call of this entire passage and really the entire book, right? It's the command to stand and to withstand the attacks of the devil. And so we're told that the gospel itself is what makes us ready to fight, okay? The very truth of the gospel in our lives is what makes us ready to withstand the attacks of the devil. We take up the shield of faith because you know what else is going to happen? Um, just like we see in Job, in, in Job's case, man, God gives Satan any number of freedoms to act in the world, right? You remember the story of Job, right? Basically, he's allowed to, to afflict um, Job physically. He's allowed to harm his family. He's allowed to take away his stuff and his livelihood and all these different things, right? Um, and so the devil may have any amount of influence on your life. I, I mean, I can't tell you what that is going to be, okay? Um, and circumstances of your life can be harsh and difficult, broken relationships and health problems and work problems and hard things going in and on in your life, attacks. And so what is our defense? Against those things? Well, it's the shield of faith, right? We have faith that God is working in the midst of these things and that we can trust him no matter what because he is good and he is wise and he is capable, okay? And so as these hard circumstances come up in our lives, we say, no, I trust, right? I have faith. I will use this shield and as, and as, as Satan throws these darts, as Satan shoots these flaming arrows of Illness and unemployment and, and, and whatever else, I am going to know that God is in control. We put on this helmet of salvation because even if the devil does sometimes wound us, right, we know that it'll never be a critical wound. It'll never be a head wound because we have the helmet of salvation on. What does that mean? Because at the end of the day, we win, right? That's what salvation means, right? You are going to make it. 
Um, that's what salvation is about, right? We have been saved to something. There's nothing that can change that now. And so no matter what he does to us, no matter how the attacks come, they're never going to be a death blow for us. They're never going to be a head wound, right? Any video gamers in here? There's never going to be a headshot, okay, in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we bear the helmet of salvation. Um, and that salvation assures us of, of where this whole thing is going and how the story ends. And then we go on the offensive against Satan, right? We go on offensive with the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. Just like Jesus in his temptation. When Jesus is being tempted by Satan, what does he do? He quotes Scripture back to Satan, right? He tells Satan what the Bible really says and how God really acts and, and, and God's character in its actuality according to the Word of God. He uses the Word of God is a weapon against Satan, okay? And so I've encouraged you to do it before, and I'll encourage you again. Preach to yourself, all right? Don't let yourself preach to you. You preach to yourself. That didn't sound right. Um, you tell your head what to believe, right? When you have those thoughts or whatever, well, it's never going to be any better. I'm never going to change. It's never going to get any better. This is never going to happen, whatever, Preach to yourself. Say, that's wrong. That's stupid. All of that is a lie. This is Satan speaking these things into your head, right? Don't listen to any of that stuff. I'm going to tell you what the reality is. The reality is is this. This is what the Word of God says. This is what um, uh, the gospel says about this situation. Speak truth, which is this offensive weapon. I was talking to somebody, it may have been James, and he was basically going, it's not the only offensive weapon, man. You use that shield to whack some people in the head, too. And you're right. You could use your boots and all of it um, as offensive weapons, too. Um, but it, there's a very real sense in which, man, I see this picture. Don't watch this movie. You've probably seen it. 300, right? D- don't watch 300, okay? But, man, it is this perfect picture of all of these elements, right? And of these, uh, of, of the way this fighting style of having these feet that are ready to be hit, um, as the army comes at you and to have these shield and swords and helmet and the whole bit ready to fight against the onslaught of Satan and his forces. And so we fight back with this offensive weapon that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But notice this last one. There's one little piece that I think gets left off. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but like when I was a kid and you see like the little like flannel gram kind of things in, in Sunday school of the of the centurion and it would say like the, horn, the helmet of salvation and breastplate of righteousness and all those things like that. They never they wouldn't mention this last one, but it's there and it's significant. And it's the last one. He says it's prayer. OK, um, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And here's the thing. It's not on those lists because Paul doesn't bother to give it an analogy. He doesn't make it a metaphor. He doesn't say "Uh, in the crossbow of prayer, like he doesn't do that, right? He just says, you know what? Pray, pray at all times. Pray with every kind of prayer, pray in all supplication, because that is the other weapon to all these things. And again, we see that over and over in Scripture. Do you remember the story when the disciples come down off the Mount of Transfiguration and only only the inner circle had gone up with Jesus and the rest of them are down there and they come and there's a, a boy who's demon-possessed. And they say, man, Jesus, we don't know what to do. We tried to cast out the demons and we couldn't cast him out. And then Jesus comes up and speaks and the demon goes away and they say, why could we not cast this demon out. And Jesus says, because that kind of demon only comes out through prayer. It only comes out by prayer, right? Um, We don't pray about things that we don't believe exist, right? Um, 
I can honestly say, and again, this is to my shame, is that I have very rarely in my life prayed against the demonic or the satanic influence in somebody's life. Um, because I typically just think, no, that guy's an idiot and he needs to get his act together, right? Like, that's what I pray. I say, God, just wake him up, man. Make him get it. Make him see it. Make him understand it. Humble his heart. Make him repentant. All that stuff's right. We shouldn't, those, those are not wrong things to say, but maybe there's something more to it. Maybe I also need to be saying, God, protect him from the evil one because the evil one has gotten in there and is, and is speaking things into his head and heart um, that I don't have any power to, to stop. Um, to ask God in prayer to defeat those forces within their lives. Um, I'm going to close in, again, kind of a weird place, right? Because we're, we're not going to get the, the transition into the next passage is, is, is very quick, and, and, but we're going to save the rest of the passage for next week. But I want to encourage you on these, on these things, right? Um, I've got to... There's so many of us in here that I've had conversations with, and you have friends, you have family members, um, you have people in your lives who have walked away from the faith, right, in weird ways, right? All of a sudden, they just had a turn. Um, all of a sudden, they went from, from believing, and then all, it just, there's like a, like, a, like a wall went up or something like that. And, and we just wonder ourselves, man, how can this happen so quickly? Like, what could have taken place to make this happen? And again, what do we immediately say? Well, it's the culture, right? It's YouTube. It's, uh, it's all this garbage in the, in, the, in the politics and stuff like that. And, and I'm, again, I'm not saying that none of those things have influences, right? But maybe there's something spiritual there, right? Maybe there are influences that we need to be praying against and asking God to free these people from, um, because I got a feeling like we would probably see just as quick a change the other way, that we could see people's lives change instantly as these forces are defeated uh, and they can see Christ clearly and turn to him for salvation. Um, So would you do that? Would you pray for those people in your life and pray in these terms? All right. Again, I can't tell you whether this is the reality or not. I don't know if specifically what they're dealing with is is this. But the way this passage talks, it is the common thing that is going on in our lives, right? It is not the it is not the exception to the norm. It is the norm. That these things are going on in our lives all the time and that we are constantly battling these things. And so are those people that we love. So let's let's go to the Lord in prayer and maybe just have a time specifically for those people. Again, I've had too many conversations with y'all to, to think that you don't have those people in your life. I know you do. Right. I know you have those people who are hurting and who are who have walked away and who are are just rebellious and angry um, in, in terms of these things. Maybe people who have been hurt by the church and different things like that. There's. There's more going on there than we can see. Let's believe the scriptures um, and, and fight against those things the way the scriptures have for us to fight. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we know that you are capable of, of defeating any enemy um, that we come across. Um, God, that you are capable of, of tearing down strongholds. Um, God, as we even read um, tonight in Psalm chapter 3 at the beginning of our service, um, 
God, you have smitten all of my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. God, those are talking about the evil forces that are in the world, certainly. God, the forces that are vying for our our souls and our hearts and our affections. God, we know that the the victory is is won. That Jesus Christ on the cross has has declared it is finished. Um, God, that the that the Normandy of the cross is leading to the Nagasaki of the demonic. God, that you are victorious and will obliterate and destroy all of these things, and that there is no argument about how this thing is going to end. And yet, in the meantime, your people are afflicted. Um, They are oppressed and they are attacked because of these forces um, that are at work around us. But God, you have given us the weapons and the defenses um, to stand, um, to stand and withstand the attacks of Satan. God, I pray that we would be people who take up those those things, that we put on the full armor of God, um, that we wear these things. God, just as you've commanded us to, to put off the old man and put on the new man, that we would put on these things of, of truth and salvation and righteousness. Um, God, that we would live our lives um, ready for the fight that is coming towards us. And God, that we would pray and, and, and fight and defend um, in the lives of those we love in the context that you've shown us here too. Um, God, help us in all these things. Help us to stand and help us to fight for those around us. Um, in this way. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.